I'll first read this evening's from Jeremiah, uh, chapter 31, verses 3 to 14. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I'll build you up again, and you'll be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. Again, you'll take up your tambourines and go out to dance with the joyful. Again, you'll plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There'll be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come, let's go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I'll bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame. Expectant mothers and women in labour, a great throng will return. They'll come with weeping. There are prayers I'll bring them back. I'll lead them beside a stream of water on a level path where they will not stumble, because I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it, in, proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They'll come and shout for joy in the heights of Zion. They'll rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the oil, the young of the flocks and the herds. They'll be like a well-watered garden, and they'll sorrow no more. The maids will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I'll turn the mourning into gladness. I'll give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I'll satisfy the priests of abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. For our second reading this evening from Psalm 3, verses 1 to 8. O Lord, how many are my foes, how many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Be your shield around me, O Lord, you bestow glory on me and lift up my head. The Lord, I cry aloud, he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Amen. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. Whoever wrote Psalm 84 was consumed with a sense of of longing, of yearning, of intense desire to be in the house of God. There was no other place on earth he would rather be. He'd rather camp on the doorstep of the temple than live in luxury elsewhere. He would willingly give up years of his life if he could just spend one day in God's house. He's consumed with envy as he thinks about those who are fortunate and privileged enough to live in the temple because they are always worshipping and praising God. That's why the temple is such a special place for him. Because when he's there, he knows he's in the presence of the living God. He's able to spend time praising and worshipping him. And because of the way we're wired, when we spend time worshipping God, that fills our hearts with a sense of his goodness, and his mercy and his love, so that we are as much blessed in the act of blessing him as he is blessed by our worship. For the psalmist, what's important about the temple is that it's there that he finds God.
It's there that he meets God. It's there that he encounters the presence of the living God. And that's what it's all about. It's not that it's a, a tourist attraction, a building he wants to visit. It's because his heart and his flesh are crying out for the living God. That's why his soul longs and yearns for the courts of the Lord. Every drop of blood in his heart, every fibre of his being just aches to be in God's presence. He imagines birds making their nests, rearing their young right beside God's altar in the temple, in the holy place, there where nobody's allowed to go except the priest. Birds are there, making their home in the inner sanctuary of God, completely at home and welcome in his presence. It's a place of safety and security for them. The psalmist envies them their privilege of access into the presence of God. There are no barriers for them, nothing to keep them away. They can be right there with God where he wants to be. Here is someone who has a strongly localised view of God. The temple is the place where God dwells and the problem is that the psalmist isn't there and he can't get there. Hence the longing and yearning expressed in the psalm. The centre of the psalm contains a double blessing. Those who live in God's house are blessed forever because they're always praising God. Those who make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem are blessed as well. The blessing isn't just for those who have arrived in the temple, who are actually there in God's presence. There's also a blessing for those who are on their way, making the journey. And it seems that the closer they get to God, the more strength they have for the journey, since God himself is the source of their strength. The psalmist pictures them travelling through arid desert places, and the countryside being transformed as they pass through. Streams of water springing up out of the ground, rainfall covering the dry land with pools of water. Fanciful, perhaps. But because they've set their hearts on journeying towards God, wherever they go, they carry the blessing of God in their hearts. And that blessing transforms the regions through which they travel. In the eyes of the psalmist, God himself may be located in Jerusalem, but his people bring refreshment and renewal and new life wherever they go, because in their hearts, they're focused on the living God. God is their ultimate destination, but every step of the journey on their way towards him, they make the places they visit better for them having been there. These are not people who are too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. On the contrary, as they live their lives for God, as God fills their hearts and their minds, in their journey towards God, their presence communicates the life-giving, life-enhancing blessing of God to others. To be God-focused, to be God-centred in a godless world will not fail to make a positive difference to your environment wherever you find yourself. So the psalmist pronounces a blessing on those who live in the temple courts, who are ever praising God, and a parallel blessing on those who make the pilgrimage to Zion in God's strength to appear in his presence. But which group does the psalmist belong to, if either of them? Some people have suggested that the psalm reflects a sense of exaltation when, having made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, you're finally standing on the threshold of the temple. You're there. I'm not so sure. The psalmist talks about those who spend their lives in the courts of God's temple and those who make the journey towards the temple in the third person. 
Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. He doesn't appear to include himself among them. He doesn't say, we're blessed because we dwell in your house. We're blessed because we're travelling towards you. It's others who are blessed. He longs for what others have got. His soul yearns and faints for the courts of the Lord. His heart and flesh cry out for the living God. He would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And yet he's not there himself. He's not in the temple in Jerusalem. He wishes he was, but he isn't. He's not making the journey himself either. He envies those who do. Perhaps he found himself reluctantly living in the tents of the wicked because that's where he was. He would make the journey himself if he could, but he can't, much to his dismay. We could posit some kind of scenario in which there is an opportunity at the end of exile for God's people in Babylon to go home. Some have got there already. Maybe to find birds nesting in the ruins of the temple, but they're just thrilled to be there in God's house. Others are making the pilgrimage through the wilderness in the strength and the grace of God. But this man, maybe for reasons of ill health or old age or whatever, can't get there himself. He longs and wishes with all his heart that he could make the journey. But he writes this psalm to pronounce a blessing on those who can, for those who make the journey, for those who travel, and for those who get there. And to pray for the one whom God has anointed as their leader, that he would be a shield to protect them. So in some ways, this this psalm is the psalm of an outsider. This is, it's a psalm that celebrates an intimacy with God, that talks about a closeness with, with God that he himself feels that he's denied because he can't be there where God is in the temple of the living God. And yet for all that, you read the psalm and you can't help feeling that actually this is one of the most worshipful psalms there is. Even though he can't be there with God, his longing for God is immensely powerful. There is a love for God that is apparent in every line of the psalm. That sense of learning, yearning for God, longing for God, has an intensity about it which actually can be a bit disconcerting. Sometimes when you read the the way in which this psalm is is consumed with a desire to be in the presence of God, our own worship of God can sometimes seem a bit superficial by comparison. You can imagine the psalmist shaking his head in disbelief at the low priority we can sometimes give to coming to church, but for him, there was nothing else more important than being able to, to be there in God's house. Yet even though he longed with all his heart to be in the temple in the presence of God or to be one of those making the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, does that mean the presence of God wasn't with him where he was? Bedouin wants to say that of course the presence of God was with him. You can't escape the presence of God. If he knew nothing of what it was to be in the presence of God, he wouldn't have been consumed with longing to know it more because it would have been outside of his experience. He tasted enough of the reality of God to long to know God better. If this this man weren't inspired by the Spirit of God in his heart and in his soul, he wouldn't have been able to write this psalm. In a sense, then, the longing for God that he has is only there because God is already present with him, even in the tents of the wicked. His situation is far from ideal. He's not where he wants to be, or even where he ought to be. He doesn't feel anywhere near as close to God as he should. 
But the longing for God that consumes him is only there because of the reality of what he knows of God in his heart. And even though he's geographically a long, long way from the dwelling place of God, nevertheless, wherever he is, he still belongs to God. And God is still there with him. At a minister's meeting before half term, we were talking about when someone becomes a Christian and when you cross the line into the kingdom of God. And uh, someone said, well, how close do you have to be to God before, before that line is crossed? And we batted this around a bit and, and came to the conclusion that's not sure, we're not sure how that, that's how it works. The point is not whether you're close to God or not. The question is whether your life is turned towards God or not. It's not how close to God or far away from God you are. It's the direction you're travelling in. So, think of Horsham, for example. It's not about, you know, how close to the centre of Horsham you find yourself. You could be on the Brighton Road, the Worthing Road, the Guildford Road, the, the Warnham Road, the Rusper Road, the Crawley Road, on any of those roads. And the key question is not how close to the centre of town are you, the key question is, which way are you travelling? Which way are you travelling? Are you travelling towards the town or away from the town? And when we think about that in terms of God, the question is not how close to God are you, the question is, are you getting closer to God? doesn't matter where you find yourself, how distant from God you might be, the question is, are you turning to focus on God? Are you walking towards God? Are you coming closer to him? Because it's possible, actually, to be in all the right places, to do all the right things, and to have your back turned from God. In our hearts are we turned towards God. And it doesn't matter how far away from God we might have slipped, how distant we might find ourselves. The key question is not how close to God am I. The key question is, in my heart, am I turning to God? Because if in your heart you've turned to God, then God is right there with you. It's a psalm written by a man who's hundreds of miles away from the presence of God as he understands it. But in his heart, he's every bit as much turned to God as those making the pilgrimage to Jerusalem or those who've got there already and are, who are, as he supposes, worshipping and praising God all the time. I'm not sure they were, actually, but that's what he'd be doing if he was there. Many of those who lived in or near the temple would have been further away from God in their hearts than the author of this psalm was but there you go. The truth of the matter is that our heart is the only temple God is bothered about as far as we're concerned. And God can indwell your heart whether you're able to make it to church to worship him or not. I realise I'm almost talking myself into saying that church doesn't matter and instinctively I don't want to say that. Yet I'm aware that some of you listening to this sermon by podcast or other means will be doing so precisely because you can't make it to church. And you will think, I would love to be there. This psalm is for you. And while you miss the joy of being in church with the people of God, God does not stint in communicating his presence to you. Wherever you are, the longing in your heart is there because the presence of God is right there with you as you listen. 
But it is perhaps easier to feel close to God in church. That's why it's important and beneficial for us to come if we can. But if we can't, this psalm speaks of the yearning to know more of God that can only take place in our hearts because of what we know and have experienced of God already. You might not feel the presence of God with you like you do in a church sanctuary, but be be assured that wherever you find yourself, God is there as you turn in your heart to him. But there's a challenge for us, because we are here in church. And let's recognise that whether it's right or wrong or whatever, let's recognise that people come to church because they're looking for the presence of God. That's what draws people to a place like this, to a congregation like this. People don't come to church because they like the coffee, necessarily. Lots of people don't come to church because they like the the songs or the hymns. Lots of people don't come to church because they've got nothing better to do on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. Somewhere along the line, in an unspoken way, in a way that they can't necessarily put their finger on, perhaps, people come to church because they're searching for the God who's drawing them. And if you're on a spiritual quest, church is a good place to start looking. If people come to Brighton Road looking for God, it's God they need to find when they come into this place with us as his people. The psalmist longed to be in the courts of the Lord in the dwelling place of God Almighty because his heart and his flesh were crying out for the living God. That's why the most important thing about Brighton Road is that we need to be a God-centred people. God at the heart of all we are and all we do in this place. Because a cup of coffee, nice buildings, varied worship, comfortable chairs, reasonably short sermons and wonderful people are not enough to make this someone's spiritual home. Because ultimately the question is, do I find God here, in this place, with these people? Do I find the presence of God here? Think of those sparrows, those swallows, living and building their nests right by God's altar in the temple. They found the presence of God. It was a place of safety and welcome and security for them. Brighton Road needs to be that for all comers. And remember too that sparrows and swallows had no business being near the altar of God at all, really. If they'd have been caught, they'd have been kicked out. They didn't really belong there. And yet there they were, as close to the presence of God as it was possible to be. Let that picture of birds nesting near the altar remind us that for God there's no one who doesn't belong. No one who's not welcome because they don't fit in. No one who shouldn't be allowed into the presence of God. The God who welcomes sparrows and swallows into the sacred precincts of his temple welcomes you as well. So let's be sure that as a church we don't turn people away because they don't quite fit or they shouldn't really be here. We always welcome people in because that's what God does. And it doesn't matter how far away from God they are or they have been because if they turn their face towards God, God accepts them. That's what repentance is. It's turning back to God again. And so my prayer, our prayer, needs to be that Brighton Road will be a place 
a group of God's people where those who turn towards God and come looking for him, find him. Here. Among us as his people. In our services. In our worship. That people say, it's where I want to be because there, there I find the presence of God. And that's where their spiritual quest finds its answer. So those who come looking for God, may they find our welcome and the fullness of his presence among us as we gather here to worship week by week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the times that we've encountered you in this place with these people. Thank you for the times when we've been overwhelmed with a sense of your presence, your holiness, your love, your grace. For the sense of belonging to you and to your people that we've experienced here. Lord, become our number one priority again. Fill our hearts with the longing that only you can satisfy. Enable us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Believing that everything else will follow from that. And Lord, among us in this place, may people find a refuge, shelter, a welcome. And may people find a living God May those who search for you find you here as we lift up the name of Jesus in this place. For in your name we ask it, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.